Welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Swans, and today is Thursday of the 29th week in Ordinary Time, and also the feast of Pope St. John Paul II. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And with your spirit. To prepare ourselves, let us acknowledge our sins. I confess to Almighty God and and to you, my brothers and sisters, that that I have have greatly sinned in in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do, through through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Let us pray. O God, who are rich in mercy, and who willed that St. John Paul II should preside as Pope over your universal Church. Grant, we pray, that instructed by his teaching, we may open our hearts to the saving grace of Christ, the sole Redeemer of mankind, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Ephesians. This is what I pray, kneeling before the Father, from whom every family, whether spiritual or natural, takes its name. Out of his infinite glory, may he give you the power through his Spirit, for your hidden self to grow strong, so that Christ may live in your hearts through faith. And then, planted in love and built on love, you will, with all the saints, have strength to grasp the breadth and the length, the height and the depth, until knowing the love of Christ, which is beyond all knowledge, you are filled with the utter fullness of God. Glory be to him whose power, working in us, can do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. Glory be to him from generation to generation in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Ring out your joy to the Lord, O you just. For praise is fitting for loyal hearts. Give thanks to the Lord upon the harp. With a ten-stringed lute, sing him songs. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. For the word of the Lord is faithful, and all his works to be trusted. The Lord loves justice and right. 
and fills the earth with his love. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. His own designs shall stand forever. The plans of his heart from age to age. They are happy whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen as his own. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. The Lord looks on those who revere him, on those who hope in his love, to rescue their souls from death, to keep them alive in famine. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Alleluia, alleluia. I count all things worthless but this, to gain Jesus Christ and to be found in him. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to his disciples, I have come to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were blazing already. There is a baptism I must still receive, and how great is my distress till it is over. Do you suppose that I am here to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, a household of five will be divided, three against two, and two against three. The father divided against the son, son against father, Mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother in law against daughter in law, daughter in law against mother in law. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Well, there's no question that the Gospel we have today is a challenging one. Do you suppose that I'm here to bring peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. I've come to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were blazing already. These words seem a little jarring to you? Um, Perhaps these words kind of, they go against our default image of who Jesus is. It sounds like Jesus is being a bit judgmental, sounds like he's being a bit aggressive. I mean, how do we harmonise these words with the fact that the angels at his birth declare that Jesus is the Prince of Peace? How do we, you know, sort of reconcile these words of Jesus with the Sermon on the Mount? You know, blessed are the peacemakers, love your enemies, turn the other cheek. Well, I don't know, I suppose the real temptation here is to ignore the texts that challenge who we think that Jesus is, and that we kind of, you know, rest secure in our default picture of Christ. He's not really like that. Um, This is just one of those weird bits in the Bible that no one really likes. Um. Well, it's easy to fall into attitudes like that, and it happens pretty subtly. Well, Jesus is just being a little bit Old Testament here, but don't worry, he'll catch on soon enough. He'll be in a better mood tomorrow. No, I think we need to dive into the scriptures and allow them to speak for themselves, because they tell us who Jesus is and what he's come to do. So, you know, we've got to open up our hearts a little bit, especially when our preconceptions get challenged. So, what do we make of these statements? I've come to divide families, I've come to bring fire. Well, if we're going to 
get stuck into these challenging texts, we're going to have to get into the worldview of the scriptures. You see, fundamentally, the Bible sees the world as good, but flawed. We're all one human family, but the family's a bit dysfunctional. At the heart of it, there's something about the world that's not okay. Um, G.K. Chesterton, the great writer of the early 20th century, described humanity like this. He says, not only are we all in the same boat, we're all seasick. Now, um, what's being articulated here is the doctrine of original sin. Now, this is the vision of the scriptures. This is the description of the world that Jesus is entering into. Um, and we don't talk much about original sin these days. It's not especially fashionable. But when we stop and take an honest examination of the world around us, we must surely be able to see that there's something wrong. Why is it? so much easier to be selfish than selfless? Why is it so much easier to be arrogant than humble? Easier to exert my will over others than to strain to empathise with them? Now, don't get me wrong, humanity is capable of heroism too, but there's this tendency toward evil. It's just easier than pursuing the good. The um, 20th century um, mystic and spiritual writer Thomas Merton um, described it like this. He said, One of the effects of original sin is an instinctive prejudice in favour of our own selfish desires. We see things as they are not because we see them centred on ourselves. Fear, anxiety, greed, ambition, and our hopeless need for pleasure all distort the image of reality that is reflected in our minds. An instinctive prejudice in favour of our own selfish desires. Like, that's a great way of describing original sin. It's something that affects all of us for the simple fact that we're human beings. And this is the worldview of the scriptures. Yes, we are all fundamentally good. God has created us that way. But there's a rupture somewhere. Somewhere along the lines, things have gone haywire, and we aren't quite as God created us. We've fallen. We've tripped up. And the book of Genesis describes our fall through the story of Adam and Eve, the first rebellion against God. They took the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they ate it. They interrupted the order which God had placed in the world, and now there's disorder. Now, instead of being images of God's self-giving love, we have this, as Merton says, instinctive prejudice of our own selfish desires. So when we keep that in mind, what do we think about Jesus coming into the world? Is he simply going to walk around saying, I'm okay, you're okay? No, he's in a world that's gone wrong. The first thing he preaches is repent. The Lord doesn't say, oh, don't worry, everything's fine and there's no need to change. No, he he knows he's in a world that's gone wrong. Our simple tendency toward evil, toward violence, towards hatred, and arrogance and self-assertion. There are those who are going to hear this invitation to repent and who are captured by the picture of love and want to embrace it. But at the same time, we see those who hear the word of God And reject it. I mean, when we look at the Gospels, we see this dysfunction on display. 
we see figures like Caesar Augustus, who brought peace to the world but only by means of military power and the sword. We see King Herod, who killed John the Baptist out of his own cowardice and his unwillingness to be embarrassed in front of his friends at a party. We see the scribes and the Pharisees and the chief priests, those who use their religion in order to exert their pride and place themselves over above others. And then, of course, Pontius Pilate, the one who was somewhat reluctant about sending Jesus to crucifixion, but was prepared to do it for the simple fact that it would strengthen his power. For all of these figures, is the proclamation of the gospel something which brings them peace? No, it brings fire. It calls for repentance. It calls for change. The gospel isn't comfortable. It's not consoling. It's a challenge. It's something which brings light, but also something which brings a lot of heat. And this heat is purifying. Is this gospel something that brings peace? No, it's something that's incredibly disturbing. It's disturbing to the current state of affairs because it stands in judgment on the current state of affairs. And so this act of judgment which Jesus performs in the world is something which brings division. And tragically, even division within families. In John's Gospel, Jesus points out that he's come to bring peace to the earth, but not the peace that the world gives. The kind of peace that the world gives is the kind that was established by Caesar Augustus. The Pax Romana, the power of the Roman military force, was what suppressed all dissent and made it possible for, as it used to be said, a Roman citizen to walk unharmed from one edge of the empire to the other. But Jesus hasn't come to bring that kind of peace. No, Jesus has come to interrupt that kind of peace in order to bring the peace that the world cannot give. The kind of peace that comes from reconciliation with God. The kind of peace that comes from self-emptying love. For those who cling to fallen human nature, the coming of Jesus is a threat and he's a problem. But the fire of the gospel which Jesus throws upon the world is not only one which illumines, but it's one which burns and purifies. And we need to allow the word of the gospel to make us uncomfortable, to shake us out of our self-satisfied peace, and to burn and purify within us the selfishness that still clings and that holds us back from truly embracing the Prince of Peace. At the Saviour's command, and formed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever.
Let us welcome Christ into our hearts with an act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks be to God. And we finish by praying Pope Francis's prayer to Mary during the coronavirus pandemic. O Mary, you shine continuously on our journey as a sign of salvation and hope. We entrust ourselves to you, health of the sick. At the foot of the cross, you participated in Jesus' pain with steadfast faith. You, salvation of the Roman people, know what we need. We are certain that you will provide, so that as you did in Cana of Galilee, joy and feasting might return after this moment of trial. Help us, Mother of Divine Love, to conform ourselves to the Father's will and to do what Jesus tells us. He who took our sufferings upon himself and bore our sorrows to bring us through the cross to the joy of the resurrection. Amen. We seek refuge under your protection, O Holy Mother of God. Do not despise our pleas, we who are put to the test, and deliver us from every danger, O glorious and blessed Virgin. Amen. Thanks for praying with us, and may God bless you abundantly, so that this day may give glory to God the Father.